Hey everyone, my name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another sub-series of our Make Ours Marvel show we call Not Comics. This is our fourth Not Comics special. We're here to talk about stuff going on in the Marvel Universe that is Not Comics. Kind of says it right on the tin there. Right, um, we're, we're very obvious. Right, we, there, there, there's no burying the lead on the show. So we are here to talk about a recent Marvel film. So if you're not all caught up on your Marvel movie watching, shame on you. Go do that, then come back, because we're going to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp today. Yay. And um, we had a special guest on last time, so we thought we'd try that again, see if we don't alienate anybody. And um, I was, uh, I've been following this person on Twitter for a while now. And recently I saw a tweet saying that the Wasp was her absolute favorite Avenger or one of her favorite Avengers, something like that. And I was like, hey, we're doing a movie discussion soon. I wonder if she'll come over here. So um, this uh, woman writes for Sci-Fi Fangirls and she is Sarah Century. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi. Glad you could make it. I'm glad I could make it too. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, you saw the movie. Yeah. Mike, you saw the movie. We all saw Wait, the movie. Wait, we're supposed to watch the movie? <laughs> I watched the trailer like 15 times at least. <laughs> well, it's kind of... Listen. No, it's not the trailer was great. Yes, I watched the movie. Was that Sarah? I said the trailer was great. <laughs> it was a great trailer. Um, so, you know, I, I've read a lot of what you've written on the site. And, and folks, if you don't know, Sci-Fi Fangirls is a, is a branch for sci-fi.com. That's F-Y... Sorry, S-Y-F-Y. And uh, Sci-Fi Fangirls is just this page of all these great articles about just all sorts of stuff in various realms of geekdom, uh, especially from a feminine perspective. And uh, Sarah Century has been writing about lots of different stuff. Um, but recently, and I put these on our own Twitter account, she's been doing a few articles. In a, she even wrote a video about the Wasp and her history. So Sarah, I guess just to kind of get a little intro out of the way before we get into our movie discussion, what is it that attracts you to the Wasp? What, uh, what are some stories about hers that you, that first caught your eye? Oh man, those are two really different questions. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> but the, the first, the answer to the first, the, what I like about the Wasp would be, uh, well, she's one of those characters that kind of started around the same time as, you know, like Jean Grey and Invisible Woman and stuff. So there's there's always been kind of a lot of commentary on how those characters by Stan Lee uh, weren't really very well represented. And usually they had writers later that seemed to understand them a little bit better. Um, there's been a lot more of a to-do made about, for instance, the character growth of somebody like Jean Grey than there has been for Janet Van Dyne. But among the Avengers, I would say that Janet is always the one who's kind of just pushing herself to be a better person than she was. Like a lot of the heroes are just kind of like you see a lot of changes, but usually they're like outside of them. Whereas it seems like Janet really started in a different place than where she's at now. Um, and I really love watching characters grow. And then at the same time, uh, I just think that, like, she's just really buoyant. She's always really excited to be a superhero. Like, she has to drag Hank, like, out of his lab, like, all of the time because she wants to go superhero and he doesn't, you know? Um, and she just kind of grew on me. It was, like, in the beginning, she was kind of a rough character, like a lot of those early Marvel female characters were. But uh, after a while, she becomes, like, the leader of the Avengers. Like, she's feminist like she becomes friends with scarlet witch and she hulk and monica rambeau um she's just a great character i would say like she's kind of the one that nobody really talks about that much kind of in the original avengers like there's a lot of conversation around all of those other characters a lot of them get their own series you know their own spinoffs um but the wasp kind of falls by the wayside a lot but she's just always kind of been in the avengers yeah, that is interesting because I, you know, I really like the Wasp too, but I got to admit that maybe I don't always think of her as a founding member. Yeah, and she totally Even though she totally team. was, but uh, it was kind of like Ant-Man, oh, and by the way, the Wasp. Yeah, yeah, in the beginning uh, it was That's certainly how the like comic that. was written. I'm sorry, I said I didn't mean to talk to you over you. I just said that like on the cover of the comic, it says Ant-Man, but never even mentions the Wasp. Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. But she was a fan favorite from the beginning, you know? But she was was she she technic she is the first female 
Avengers leader, right? I think. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I could be wrong about that. She was the first Avengers leader that was a woman, definitely. Um, and the issue that she takes the leadership is really, really good because she's just uh, left Hank and Hank is kind of like wandering around the streets with like a stubble. <laughs> he has, like, that a, sounds like, like Hank, yeah. Yeah, he has like an empty coffee cup and just like. You described her once as the most openly feminist Avenger. Yeah, that's. I think she really is because after she, after her and Hank break, I think that like she really came into her own. Like in the beginning, she's really deferential to him, and she's also really controlling. They have a really bad dynamic, but uh, yeah, she kind of just shows up and is like everybody is just you know walking on eggshells around her and just like oh god, she's going through a divorce, and now here she is back on the team. Like how do we deal with this? And she just kind of walks in and is like, hey, so I think I should be the leader. <laughs> and everybody's <laughs> like, oh, um, don't you think? And she's like, no, yes or no, please. And then, like, they all are like, well, yeah, I guess, you know. like She has seniority over everyone, so. Yeah, like, we don't really have a great reason to say no. And she's just like, excellent. And then she's the leader for longer than any other character besides Captain America after that, so. Yeah, I've always had a great affection for the Wasp. Um, I came back in adult comics into into comics as an adult around Secret Invasion, and um, I was reading the Avengers tie-ins to that, which like focus on her relationship with Hank and um, how it had deteriorated. But there were some like overtures of friendship, and uh, we find out later that's a fake Hank, but he gives her the uh, the growth. Uh, serum or whatever it is and she uses it in the big fight and then she allegedly dies and I was kind of like oh my gosh that's that's the wasp dying right there yeah she's dead for like five minutes (laughs) yeah everyone's dead for five minutes (laughs) this is just so brief (laughs) she's like might as well have just gone out to get groceries pretty much (laughs) just you know in, in the microverse I think that's where she went, right? Yeah, it doesn't. And yeah, she goes to the microverse, and then um, there's like a future Janet that comes back as like a Deathlock. <laughs> was that just long enough for Hank to awkwardly dress up as her for a little while? Is Pretty that much. when that was? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hank. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Hank. He's so cool right now, but he's not going to be for long. I know it's rough. It's rough with Hank. I feel bad for him. You said what drew you to the Wasp, and the first things you read about the Wasp were two very different questions. Yeah. So what were some of your first Wasp stories? It's just, uh, I guess, wow, well, whenever I was first reading comics was the 90s, so I it would have been like that. I, I always reference the era where she just kind of shows up as like a human-Wasp hybrid out of the middle of nowhere, and it's just like, hey... Oy. Um, and she has this like wild, like kind of like the, the X-Force member feral, like hair, <laughs> like right. really tall, like Liefeld hair. Um, so really, really, you shouldn't like her at all then. Is what you're saying. <laughs> she, well, she's really endearing. It's really strange. Like it's a terrible story, but she does show up with like, it's like she's completely mutated and her intro was her just being like, Hey, did y'all miss me? Like, what's up? <laughs> And everybody's like, ah. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. Like, she was still pretty great. Like, even though that story was just kind of like, what the hell is happening right now? Um, Right, right. And then he goes into Heroes Reborn. And so, like, you know, all of them are wiped from the slate. So we have no idea what happened to, like, Hybrid Wasp or, like, why that was a thing, really. Um, but that was the first stories I was reading. And then probably it would be like early Avengers where she's very much, uh, like damsel in distress ish. Um, so that was like, I guess like my intro. And then after that, I started reading like the later Avengers because I wanted to read more about, uh, She-Hulk and Monica Rambeau. And then I was like, that was kind of when I was like, Oh, the wasp is really good in this. Like, why didn't anybody tell Mm -hmm. me how awesome this character is? Well, um, so as we're recording this, Mike and I have already kind of gotten familiar with Jan's early stories. Uh, you haven't heard it yet, listener, but we've already recorded discussion of some. Um, so I, I feel like we, we have at least the basic idea of her beginnings as we go into this film. Um, and of course, this film is not Hank and Janet so much as it is Scott and Hope. But, you know, it's comics. Everybody's you know, the costumes are always going to different people. 
And the Janet we get in this, we don't get to know her enough to know how much she is or is not like the comic book Janet, but but she's there. I I feel, uh, sorry to speak up, but I feel that they really nailed her character. Like, they could have done a lot worse. Whenever, I don't know how spoilery to get, but like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is totally open. Cool. If, if listeners, if you're listening to this episode about Ant Man and the Wasp, and you have not yet watched Ant Man and the Wasp, and you don't want to be spoiled on Ant Man and the Wasp, I don't understand your life choices. Yeah, it's. it's <laughs> <laughs> um, I, whenever she's in Paul Rudd's body, uh, just like her, uh-huh. her whole way of talking and being was just the most Janet thing that I've seen in years even because it's just she's been in the quantum zone like she should be completely just not even like at all lucid at that point you know and then she's just like hey so here's how you save me you know and just kind of takes over um and then is really loving at the same time so i think that you know as little as she was in the movie and it for me like for a janet stan like it was excruciating um (laughs) because i just wanted her to be like in the entire movie but um, right. I think that they did great with her, even in that first scene with her and Hope, too. I think that, like, just how, what a funny person she is really came across. So as thing as we could approach this, I was kind of thinking that um, each of us probably have uh, at least a handful of things that we really want to talk about about the film. So I was thinking, like, we could go around one person, could, like, pick some, you know, burning thought in their mind and, like, share their thoughts on it. And then the other two can respond to those. And then we can, you know let the next person pick the next topic and just kind of go like that until we run out of things to say. Okay. Sure. Is that cool? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well then I think, um, unless you want them to think about it, Sarah, I was going to let you uh, pick the first topic. Ooh, first topic. Um, all right. I'm really glad that they brought Bill Foster in. Ooh. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that it was Lawrence Fishburne. And I think that not only did they do a really well by his character and it was really true to the comic, uh, but it made me really excited to see what they're going to do with him next. I think. Mike, yeah, what do you think about I, that? I think I saw that in the trailer, one of the later trailers. I think it revealed that he was going to be in it as Bill Foster, and I'm pretty sure I squealed on Twitter that I would give anything just to have like five seconds of CGI flashback of Lawrence Fishburne as actually Goliath in some form or another. But right, unfortunately, we didn't get that. I didn't really expect that we would get that, but it was still cool that he talked about experimenting with gross stuff with um, Hank reaching. I can't remember what, how many feet he reached, 50 or something like that. But uh, yeah, Lawrence Fishburg is great. So any any anytime he's in something that works. And he was a good character here because he was kind of a bad guy, but, you know, not really. Mm-hmm. Which are Doing always kind of more interesting bad guys than just straight up bad guys. Yeah, making wrong choices for the right reasons. Right. In fact, in fact both he and Ghost, essentially, Ghost was a little more bad than he was, but probably because she's in pain and desperate, but like they had to create that mob guy just to give us a real bad guy to root for, to be punched in the face, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We left the theater and my daughter commented how there wasn't really a main bad guy. There wasn't really like a big bad in this. It was a no. bunch of complex people. And like that one Weasley guy um, yeah. who is from a random arc of relatively modern Iron Man. He was in like three issues and he's gone. Um, so yeah, uh, so, so if listeners don't know, Bill Foster uh, was originally Hank's uh, lab partner or assistant, I'm not sure exactly how it was presented, uh, helping him work on his uh, growth problems. Because one of the things with Hank and Avengers is he gets like stuck at different sizes and he, he, he can't grow or shrink or he'll die or something like that. And eventually he gets uh, growth powers of his own. Um, he is the unfortunately named Black Goliath for a while. And then just Goliath. And I think he goes by Giant Man at one point. Because um, they're always, if, if you're a size changer, unless you're Janet, if you're a size changer, you're always changing your name. Mm-hmm. So. Um, was he Goliath before or after Hawkeye was Goliath? After, right? Oh, was it after? I think so. I think so too, but I was, I can't, couldn't remember. I haven't read any of his solo stuff yet. So I apologize. It's on the list. I just haven't gotten there. Um, but yeah, I forgot that Hawkeye was Goliath for a while. Yeah, he's a legacy character. I think I first read him in like a Marvel 2-in-1 where he shared some time with the thing. And I'm like, who's this Goliath? That's craziness. But yeah, 
Fun so stuff. yes, seeing him in the movie was really, really cool. And I mm-hmm. thought he had a great dynamic. I mean, I love that they give depth to the relationships and that he and Henry were on a falling out and he kind of bonds with Scott over their mutual, uh, you know, antipathy for Henry Pym's way of doing things and their, their size changing abilities. And there's the joke about that. Um, and then he turns out to be helping the person they're trying to stop. And so he's stuck in a hard place. It's just, he, he was done really, really well. And of course, he's being played by Perry White from <laughs> one of my favorite incarnations of Superman. Um, cause Sarah, I'm a big Superman fan. Um, and uh, although this is, this, this podcast is a safe place for many, many things, um, slamming on Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman will make us no longer be friends. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Perry White, um, casting for, um, Bill Foster, I forgot his name for a second there, which just made me maybe really, really happy. He has a great air about him, a great gravitas. Anytime he was on the screen, he was the master of that scene. It was, it was just really, really great. Mm-hmm. And they kept it open for him to return too. So, mm-hmm. so Mike, what is one of the things you came out of the theater thinking about? Well, the big thing I thought about when I came out of the theater is maybe they should call this Wasp and the Ant Man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Dang, if Hope didn't like steal this movie for me. In a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like Ant-Man was there too and did his stuff, but I felt like Hope did a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool to see her. And what I really liked especially is I have to admit, like in the first movie, I didn't particularly love her character that much. Um, like it was okay, but she was kind of in a role where she's supposed to be like not liked, I guess, maybe. Mm-hmm. But then like in this one, yeah, once they gave her the costume and, and let her do her thing, man. I was really impressed and they gave her a lot of screen time and she did a lot of important things. Mostly. I mean, she even saved Ant-Man at one point. So, you know, when he turned it, when he turned to a giant and then passed out, like that was his big contribution to the movie. And then even that she had to like pull over in the van and save him real quick, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to more of her, even though she disappeared in the end. But, uh, I'm hoping she makes it into like an Avengers movie or something. That was cool that she was complaining about how he didn't take her with him to save help Cap. Um, so I'd like, and that made me think like that'd be really cool to see her in some more like crossover events if there are any in the future. Maybe next movie, next Avengers movie. How'd you feel about Hope, Sarah? Oh yeah, they totally changed her character uh, for the better. I think that um, yeah, she was incredible. She was really relatable in all of the ways that she needed to be. Her just being so dedicated and so sad about her mom really made a lot of the things that maybe we didn't love about her in the first movie click. Um, just great. Like the whole rapport between her and Scott was fantastic. Like it was just great. I think that she was, uh, it's hard to say like really what like the breakaway of this movie was because there were so many elements of it that really worked together. But definitely the fact that this is the first one that had a woman as like the co-star and she really is the co-star. Like she's a hundred percent there, you know? And like you said, it's about, I mean, the movie's overall plot is about saving Janet, which is her mother. So Scott, Scott is like kind of a byproduct of being, you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't have a direct uh, connection to their goal here. Not that he doesn't want to help them, of course, but like, it's kind of her movie in a way because we need to rescue her mother. And Scott's it's, like there to help out. He's he's almost a plot device yeah. that happens to be a co-star of the film. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very much the, the, uh, the Van Dyne story, the Pim Van Dyne story in this. And, and that was really, really neat to see. Cause I mean, from a Marvel universe perspective, the legacy starts with Hank and Jan and then goes to hope. And the fact that Scott stole their stuff in the last film should be kind of a side note, but that's the perspective that we come in on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having Hope and her dad, and like there was one where I was sitting in their movie and it just randomly popped in my brain. Oh, wait a second. Wasn't she really mad at her dad at the beginning of the last movie? Wasn't like this big antipathy there mm-hmm. that is just gone now. Um, I guess they worked through their issues and, you know. Well, she was like pretending to be mad at him in public for sure, because she wanted the guy to think that, you know, she was loyal to him instead of her dad. But yeah, they definitely had like issues about him not wanting her to use the his formula, you know, to bring Scott in instead of just use her straight up, which by the way, she was totally right about just let just use her next time because she kicks butt. Um, but yeah, there was some animosity, but maybe now that they've been on the run together, 
that kind of brings, <laughs> brings people closer together maybe. And wanting her mom back. I think that like before he had really written her mom off and that probably had a lot to do uh-huh. with their relationship deteriorating. Um, yeah. And giving her a suit. Yeah. All of yeah. that. So I think that, yeah, having that, you know how it is whenever you, uh, you're kind of like mad at your friend or something, but then you both like hate the same person. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of the same, only like they both loved the same person. They were both like trying to save the same person. I think it may have been cut from the film or I'm just forgetting it, but there was a line from the trailers mm-hmm. where he like is talking to Hank about how she's a lot better at this than he is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah. She she really also, really is. They cut that that line too. I think where he's like, "I'll go, I'll go high, you go low." Yes. And she's like, "I have wings. Why would I go low?" But uh, I don't think that was in there either. Sometimes these trailers just trick you. That stuff gets cut, I guess. But yeah. good stuff should not get cut. Yeah. Okay, so um, we're watching the movie, and we get to Ghost's backstory, mm-hmm. and she mentions her dad's experiment. And she says her dad's name was Elias Starr. And my brain said, Elias Starr, I know that name. And the little guy inside my brain goes to the file cabinet and pulls open the S drawer and finds the file for Elias Starr and opens it up. And I'm pretty sure it's Egghead. And then they show Elias Starr and he's got the the big white bald head. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Egghead. Was it really? I completely missed that. Is Ghost a real character? Yes. Okay. I I wasn't familiar with her. But... Well, not a her in the comic. Oh, well, maybe that's why. <laughs> One of the reasons. Kind of similar costume, but not very similar characters. Like, the ghost in the comic, I believe, is mostly an Iron Man villain. And mm-hmm. uh, uh. I believe was on the Thunderbolts for a little while. Uh, he also is just kind of like a really bitter anarchist-type character who's just like against Norman Osborn and like, you know all of the corporations like Kate star Kate's all of them because of whatever uh, misunderstanding of anarchism the writer had <laughs> that created him, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's like he's in comics, but he's a pretty minor character and doesn't have any of the uh, really the same backstory at all. Like this ghost was way, way better, way more interesting. So essentially they just took the name and the powers and put it on something else. Yeah, and not yeah. even really the powers, because like the quantum oh. thing really wasn't a thing. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. It is. It was just shtick to like disappear and go through stuff, but they took that basic concept in a very, very different direction for this. And and yeah, I agree, Sarah. I think we got a better character for it. I think she was much more interesting than some white espionage dude anarchist. Um. So yeah, and um, Egghead is the only recurring Ant Man villain that I know. Because I just don't have a whole lot of reading experience with Ant-Man comics. And so to see him on there and to see him die was a little bit all. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> I I like that line, though, that I don't even know what the line was. I like it, but I can't quote it. Um, something about how, like, Hank Pym sure makes a lot of enemies or something like that. Uh-huh. And then Paul Rudd kind of nods like, yeah, that's true. But it's like it just seems like they're they're really stacking him up. He hates S.H.I.E.L.D., and whoever, particularly whoever he punched at S.H.I.E.L.D., whose name I can't remember now, whoever was sitting next to Howard Stark in that meeting, um, he hates uh, the guy who was running his company for a long time, which granted turned out to end up being a villain, so that makes sense. But uh, And he hates uh, Bill Foster, and he hates Egghead, who I didn't know was Egghead at the time. So it's like, yeah, he really is kind of a curmudgeon and holds a lot of grudges in these MCU movies. It's consistent with the comic that he has a lot of people who are just kind of like, oh, God, this guy again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's his origin. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) So, Sarah, what what were some other thoughts you had about the film? Oh, God. Um, Let's see. Loved Janet. Loved Ghost. Um, I think they kind of copped out of Ghost's story a little bit because at the very end she just kind of has her disability be magically cured sort of and I thought that that was like well people with disabilities in real life you know it kind of erases them like they get to see this character who is really like struggling you know on screen and then at the end it's just kind of like oh but like look it's just fixed now Um, and now she can be a good person you know (laughs) 
And so like that was a little bit problematic, I thought. But um, besides that, I thought that Ghost was just really fascinating and I loved her. Um, some other thoughts, I guess I had um, just like I kind of couldn't believe how good it was, honestly. Like I had a break of watching superhero films for a long time because I <laughs> watched X3. And like, after that, I like just couldn't, you know, like I was just like, I never want to see a superhero movie like ever, ever again. And I hadn't seen anything, you know, there wasn't really much going on at that time. We were all still like first wave Marvel. So I just had like a bad Hulk movie experience, you know, so I was like, I never want to watch these movies again. And then like only recently have I come back to them and I'm just like, oh, they got like really good. (laughs) Like I didn't know that it got this much better, you know, than like first class or something like. So just to clarify, you watched, you haven't really been watching superhero movies from the last stand until recently. Yeah, I started watching, I'm caught up now. So like I got like Ragnarok, you know, I got all of the stuff and like I watched Civil War and like all that. And those were all yeah. really good movies, but I was really surprised. Like, I think it was uh, the first one that I watched coming back was like Black Panther or something. And I was it, just blown away by how they had made such a great movie. Um, and I kind of had the same feeling with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like, I didn't expect them to nail the characters the way that they did, but they just got it. Even more than a lot of comic book creators do sometimes. So does this mean that if we ever do X-Men 3, The Last Stand for our not comic special, can we ask you to hate watch it for us? Oh, yeah, and- of course. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I have like literally like a Jean Grey tattoo, you know, so like I'm in oh, wow. love with that character and I was very shamed by X-3. People would be like, oh, is that from like X-3? <laughs> when they'd point at my tattoo and I'd be like, yeah. Do you have, you have a tattoo in her likeness or a comic book? It's uh, it's like a picture of Jean Grey. But the actress, or oh, you know, sorry, the comic book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. to, to talk about to play off that what you were saying earlier about how Jan kind of shows up and just magically does like a leprechaun thing and fixes her. Uh huh. Um, that was my one complaint, maybe about this whole movie was the overall science of it. Now I'm not a quantum expert by any means. Right. Um. But it was just like, you know, in the first movie, if you shrink really small, you enter the quantum realm, which made sense, I guess. Fine. That's the rule. Mm-hmm. But then, like, they're building a bridge or something to get to the quantum realm in this movie instead of just shrinking really small. And then they're also riding in a, like, a go-kart when they go into the bridge. And so something's making it so, like, Hank, when he goes to rescue Jan, he doesn't go crazy or lose his, who he is, you know, like, it, like what happened with Scott, kind of in the first movie or maybe even Jan to some extent for a while. Um, but I wasn't really sure if it was the car or if it was the fact that they're entering through this bridge thing they built or if it was maybe the suit he was wearing. There was like a time limit, but I don't know what the time limit was really counting down to. And I was really kind of for a while wrap, trying to wrap my brain around it. And then I realized, you know what? I never understand Doctor Who science either, but I still like their episodes. So I'm just going to pay attention to the fights and the feels and the human part and just – decide that they know what they're talking about in terms of this science thing. But right. it kind of didn't feel right to me. It was just pseudoscience gobbledygook. I mean, it wasn't really anything real. But but yeah, um, sometimes the little technical explanations just kind of fly fly past us. Yeah. It was definitely a very like fourth wall breaking for um, Scott to be like, do you just say quantum in front of everything? Yes. I was kind of, yeah, we were all thinking it, and then he said it. Yeah, exactly. It's like back in the 60s when you put the word space in front of anything, it made it cool. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, it's my space car. The original X Men, where it's like magnetism does like all this stuff. (laughs) Even before X Men, that's just their explanation for everything transistors and magnets. (laughs) Yeah. That's one thing we learned from all these early comics is that Stanley really, really loves when he like thinks he understands something about science yes. and doesn't really understand it. And magnetism is, and transistors are, are definitely up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so whenever Jan does come out and she heals, uh, is it Scott? And it was just seems like some sort of like bi- she she mentions at one point earlier, like like on the drive back, that she not only adapted but also evolved my mind immediately went to that 90s era you were talking about earlier sarah yeah whenever 
she kind of mutated and became like a wasp woman. And I was like, oh my gosh, are they nodding to the wasp woman era with her having like innate biological abilities here? Yeah. Evolved is kind of a hairy word. So part of me kind of thought maybe in this movie, something bad is going to happen or she's either going to like turn bad or evolve, quote unquote, when she comes back to the real world into something weird. But nothing really happened other than I guess that was the explanation for how she could cure ghost. What I thought was, I mean, one of the things that I really thought that they adhered to the comic book on was the fact that Janet was gone for like 30 years in this realm that like cracks people after they're in it for like two minutes. And, uh, you know, she's like I said, she's totally lucid. (laughs) She's like, hey, like, get me the hell out of here now. Like, please. Um, But she doesn't have a break. And so for her to say, like, I just evolved to me is like what she's been doing in the comics this whole time. You know, she continually like reinvents herself and and evolves um, as a person. So, oh yeah, go ahead. What what do you think of, uh, what do you both think of uh, them making her like a quantum physicist also? Loved it. She is a little bit in the comics. Like, it, they don't talk about it as much. But, for instance, like, I was just reading the all-new Wolverine series, um, and she appears in one issue where uh, one of the Wolverines all show up to steal one of Hank's old suits so that they can shrink down to size, and Janet just kind of comes in like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, this is my lab right now. Um And that was, to me, that's, like, that's one of the best things about her. And that's also... Part of the thing that really makes her and Hank's relationship in the comics so upsetting is is that there is no real equality between them. Like he uh, really just consistently kind of mocks her interest in like fashion and things like that. Um, and so in this, for like her to just step up and be like scouting science and like everybody else has to kind of take a step back for a second because she like that much knows what she's talking about. Um, and then she goes and does like deep research in the quantum zone, which means that she knows stuff that like Hank could never even imagine at this point. Uh, to me, that was just like that, they really nailed it. They made me love a relationship that I have hated <laughs> since like the beginning, you know. Um, so that was something that I thought was great. Like I want to always see more of Janet in the lab, you know. Um a week or two ago, I watched uh, the video that you shared, Sarah, which is kind of a run through of the wasps history. And you wrote the script for that video. Um, someone else presenting and, and listeners that's on our Twitter feed. If you just scroll through our Twitter feed, you'll see it on there from about a week before the uh, Ant-Man and wasp movie came out. And um, one of the things that I took away from that is that she has this whole life outside of superheroing with, you know, being a mover and shaker in the fashion industry and having her own company and everything else. That. And it's not that superheroing is a hobby because she definitely gives a lot more time to it than a hobby, but it is something that she loves doing outside of her normal professional life. Um, and so I've always associated with her as that like, you know, corporate and fashion mindset. I never really thought of her as being a scientist. However, just as y'all were talking, I was just kind of thinking about it and like, you spend all that time, even if you never went to school for the science yourself, you spend all that time helping make the, the pin particle science happen and helping Hank in the lab and being his assistant and then being his partner and then, and then doing it when he's gone and all that stuff. You're gonna, you're gonna learn the ins and outs of that, of that realm of, of study. And so, you know, bringing that she has that capability into the character here, I feel like it's the kind of thing that somebody somewhere thought they were trying to do with Susan Storm in the Fantastic Four film, and it just didn't quite work there the way it really works here. You know, making her an intellectual and science equal to the guy. Mm-hmm. Because Janet's entire character, that she is whip smart and she picks up a thing, that person is like a character that doesn't let anything get past her, you know? And that has been consistent from the early days. Um, so I think that the difference between Sue Storm and Janet Van Dyne is pretty huge personality wise. Uh, but I think that Sue, while she would have an understanding of science, it certainly has never been presented as one of her passions. 
Whereas Janet is definitely that character who's just like, if she's here, she's here, you know, she's here to learn. So I think that, uh, yeah, it's super consistent for me. Um, and yeah, yeah, she's, she's just good at what she does. I think she's like one of those people who kind of just picks things up. And I think we all know at least somebody like that where like they can just kind of walk up and be awesome at like whatever they try. And we're all kind of like, damn. <laughs> you kind of love them, but you kind of hate them because you want to be them. Oh yeah. We all love and hate <laughs> and want to be Janet Van Dyne. Like for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've wanted to be Michelle Pfeiffer ever since Dangerous Minds. God. So. Ooh, before that, geez, <laughs> Grease too. <laughs> um, okay. So trying to think of some other things we 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 certainly still have a lot of time um either one of you have anything that's that's burning in your brain well on a personal level i don't know how i didn't notice that in the first movie it took place in san francisco oh yeah but uh you know born and raised bay area guy i love san francisco so in this movie i noticed they were in san francisco yeah um i thought that was very cool um Hank was wearing a Giants cap. Go Giants. <laughs> yep. Not doing so well this season, but go Giants. Um, and <laughs> cheer, then the cheer them on when they're down. Then they'll feel better. Yay, Giants. Go. They're listening, I'm sure. Um, He's a Giants man. What else? And of course, the you know, Pier 39 or wherever they were at. Um, and the, uh, uh, what else? They did something else. Very San Francisco. I just always assume that oh, things are happening in the street. Or whatever. I, I I assume it had to be San Francisco last movie because it's not like his daughter and wife moved or something that I would not you know, they would have said probably if he moved, if they moved, they were all there. So must have been. I guess I just didn't pay attention and assume New York also for some reason. But yeah, that was kinda cool. And actually that's another thing, like we keep talking about uh, you know, hope a lot and rightly so, but I did like the thread of uh continuing with um Scott and his daughter. That was very good. One, it was nice to see that, like, the whole family was kind of reconciled again after that first movie. Um, you know, stepdad is on board and being sappy and huggy. That was really fun. Um, I like that he's open with his daughter about being, you know, or at least he used to be an active superhero because, of course, she saw him doing it. So he kind of has to be. But, um, you know, those conversations about, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, that kind of thing, that was all really sweet stuff. Yeah, it was really touching. I think – from a storytelling perspective, it was a good move to sort of heal up a lot of the uh, less strong relationships from the first film, because as you said earlier, Hank Pym hates everybody. And so we mm -hmm. bring in a lot of new tense relationships in this one that if we still had the Langs having problems and everything else, that might've just been too much. I, I, I was glad to see, because I got the impression from the first film that Scott's ex-wife really had a big heart for him still and was just frustrated with him, um, you know, making the choices he was making. So once he stops making those and he's on house arrest and he's living at home and he's being a good person is doing what he needs to do aside from going to Germany every now and then, um, <laughs> then, you know, they're able to get along. They're able to do well and he can see his daughter. I love Cassie. I love Cassie so much. The character is, is one of my favorites uh, from Young Avengers in the mid-2000s. Um, and then the actress portraying her is really just adorable. Yeah. But I, I, I want the MCU to go another 10 years so that she can be stature. Yep. I think that they're going to try to set up Young Avengers. I think that that's a thing. Well, they better flash forward a little bit because that's going to be awfully Young Avengers if they do it right now. <laughs> I think that that's what they're planning on doing for Avengers 4. Um, as I say, I'm not like the biggest movie expert, but one of my coworkers was saying that they think that they're going to flash forward some years. That might be an interesting idea because that would let you, uh, you know, repopulate the pool a little bit. Oh, a flash forward. I have not even considered that idea. Mm -hmm. Oh, speaking of Avengers 4. Um, so you're sitting there and you're watching and you're having all the good feels and you have completely forgotten that in the last movie, everybody died. So you're watching and the end credits are happening and they're going to go up there and, oh, look, it's the entire cast. They're all working together. It's all so great. Oh, they're going to have Scott go into the new smaller with the, in the van. Oh, that's so awesome. And he goes in and then he loses connection and you're just like, oh, what, what is that? And you go back and you see the frickety frackety dust falling to the ground yep. and i just i don't feel so good oh yeah start. the entire theater went silent it's crazy yep it's like the uh, air got sucked out 
it's funny too because I felt like everybody was like, "Oh, we're gonna have like a feel good comedy. It's gonna be really nice." And then Marvel's like, "Uh, yeah, but." <laughs> well, the thing is, even that scene started out as a feel good comedy. It really did. Because that, like you were saying, that's that was where Janet kind of shined a little bit in terms of giving Hank back. You know, mm-hmm. I can't remember what they were talking about, quantum something. But she was pretty much schooling him on you know what he didn't know. And that was all fun. That was all fun. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, actually, this is miserable because they're all going to die right now mm-hmm. or disappear and it, anyway. And it's not like we shouldn't have seen it coming because, like, in the in the gap between Avengers: Infinity War and now, I've already had all the mental processes of okay, the Ant Man movie is going to tell what he was doing during that time. It'll probably have some sort of inclusion of the finger snap death moment at the end of the film, because that's a perfect way to tie it in. So I'd already thought through all that. I just wasn't, I wasn't expecting it or thinking about it in the film itself. Because it was so fun and, you know, adventurous. And then we just completely forgot about it. Yep. Awesome for security. Um, And also in Avengers, you know, we see all the superheroes disappear, but we never saw like just people standing around cities disappearing. And of course these are all technically quote unquote superheroes too, but it was like, they're just living their everyday life. Not dealing with Thanos. So it wasn't really into my brain that that was going to happen. Um, and now I've just been trying to figure out ways like how he could get out of it. Yep. Yeah. And the only thing I could think of is like he got out of it in the first movie. But I don't know if he can do that again. Like just turn a growth thing on. Does he have one of those? That might be handy. But uh, I don't know if that works with the whole bridge thing that they had in the back of the van that he used to get in there this time. Versus just shrinking. Right. So I don't know. Bill Foster and Ghost just come walking by. Might be. <laughs> and click and click Bill the reverse Foster. button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but Foster the thing can is like, out. but how are they? Even, no one's even going to know to look. They're going to. Someone's going to steal that van or something. It's going to be really bad. Yeah, that's that's interesting. What happens to the van? Um, another thing was is even just at the beginning of that, you see Janet say, "Hey, don't get stuck in a time warp or vortex because if you do." Uh-huh then we'll never find you. Um, oh, and yeah. then we have Captain Marvel, which is going to be a movie set in the 90s. Uh, so I kind of start seeing Scott popping up. Oh, time vortex? Did they say time? They did at one point. And I mean... That would be interesting. That had, Because Sorry. the thing is, there's not going to... I don't know when the next Ant-Man movie comes out or if it's even been announced or anything, but there's going to be an Avengers first. Mm-hmm. So they can't spend an hour and a half explaining how Ant-Man gets out of this predicament, but presumably he will be in it somehow. Yeah, I mean, it'll just take it'll take you know three or three to five minutes of footage to to you know bring mm-hmm. him out. Mm-hmm. But the idea of a, a time warp or a time vortex was mentioned as a cautionary tale in the film. So yeah, the idea that he could get Flash, and we are having a movie that takes place in the nineties, um, which you know super excited about i i i love carol danvers oh yeah um she was one of the first characters whenever i came back to comics around 2008 she was one of the first characters i wasn't really familiar with that i really started getting familiar with because brian reed was doing a Ms. marvel series at that time and um and it was really good at least i thought so at the time i hope i hope it is um and you know just i've gone back and read a lot of her early stuff and uh, her x-men stuff and then now she's Captain Marvel and it's fantastic. And anyways, so. So let's not let them trick us again because <laughs> it takes place in the 90s. But then the post credits could be present day and they're going to do it to us again. So we got to be braced this time. <laughs> Something's going to end badly in Captain Marvel. Oh, God. They're going to get us again. Because they're kind of playing her up. Well, I don't know if they're playing her up. My own brain is playing up that Thanos, Captain Marvel, kind of goes hand in hand. And they're, yeah. putting, they're putting her before Avengers 4. So you assume she has some sort of biggish role to play in this fight. Especially since the end of Avengers Affinity was, crea- you know, was Nick Fury disappearing and turning on the Captain Marvel alarm or whatever. So Yeah, I like to think that at the end of the Captain Marvel movie – uh, we're going to have a, an advance in time and she's going to get that signal and she's going to zoom off. Maybe, you know, half the Kree around her or wherever she is. I assume she's in space. I assume she's in space somewhere doing something. And that's why we haven't seen her. Um, and that's why he has a special doohickey to get in touch with her because it's actually sending a signal out across the stars. Or so. something really bad happened in the nineties. And she said, forget you, Nick, I quit. 
and then she's living in a cabin in the middle of Hawaii or something somewhere. Are you saying that Heroes Reborn made her quit the Avengers? <laughs> I don't know. I'm totally speculating <laughs> and it's kind of pointless since, you know, I don't know anything. Um, but speaking about this end credit sequence, did remind me of the other end credit sequence, which some people said weren't worth staying for, but, you know, I, I thought it was fun. Because the thing is, like, the shot they have of Dave the Ant playing the drum set um, was in the trailer. And I was watching for it the entire time, especially when I saw he had the drum set and I saw that he had the giant ant in his house. I was watching for that shot. And they did other stuff with the ant and the drums, but never that shot. And I was kind of disappointed. And then there it is. The last five seconds of the film is, you know, Dave the Ant going to town on the drum set. It was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, okay, so Hank's lab, when we first see it, before he shrinks it into a briefcase 28 times or whatever. Um, he's got giant ants doing a bunch of stuff for him. And at first, my reaction was kind of like, oh, come on. Enough with the ants, sort of. I know you go to an Ant-Man movie, right? And then it's like, enough of the ants already. <laughs> but then it's like, you know what? That's cool. That's fine. This, The science exists. He can control them. Let's go ahead and embrace the heck out of it. And I just think it's really cool that they like thought, you know, what would you do if you could control ants and you had a shrinking and growing formula? Well, you'd make giant, giant ants who go around like, you know, building quantum bridges for you. Yep. And you get the impression that they've like run out of names for the ants. Because <laughs> he's like, what about Ulysses Esker, ant? I think that's funny too. It was, you know, there's a lot of funny parts in this movie. Um, like we haven't talked about his friend yet who was much more hysterical to me this time than the last film. I forget his name. Luis. Luis, yeah. He was awesome. Love Luis. <laughs> uh, he, you mean a brain yeah, or what is it or uh, true serum it's yeah true serum. Where, where's Scott at <laughs> he tells him where he's emotionally at <laughs> right I love that <laughs> oh, what did they say like it's like oh man once you open this Pandora's box he just he's gonna go or whatever <laughs> um, and he's like I want a suit with, with like with maybe just a little bit of powers or it, 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 with no powers just a suit and I yeah. saw somebody, they had done like an image of Luis in like this, you know, a gaudy costume. And uh, one of the things on his belt was this was box that was labeled X-Con Truth Serum. And, and yeah, <laughs> it's just Luis. And when he said that, when he said, I just want this suit with no powers, my brain said, oh, you want to be Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but Mike is our resident Batman fan, so I can't rag on Batman too much. Oh, you love Batman. Stop pretending. I just read his first Black Mask issue, like in the lead up before Nightfall, just today. So I'm going at all that again. Oh wow! Um, back. Yeah, I, I, I do these reading projects, and right now I'm reading a lot of '90s comics, and I'm getting into the whole Death of Superman Nightfall era, and I'm excited because I've read it all once, never having read it before, and I'm going to read it all again, knowing kind of how it all plays out. So I've been interested in maybe revisiting Louise Simonson part of. That or sorry of Superman since I've kind of like I don't know lately kind of had a more uh, more interest in her I guess than I did before. Whenever I was like a kid, I was like, "Cool, X Factor ruled," but like that was about it. And now I'm like, "Wait, so she wrote all those Superman comics? That's nuts!" So yes, she was one of the four main creative teams, and I'm not personally always a fan of John Bogdanov's art with her stories, but, but she does write some solid stories. Yeah. Oh, but you can't just read her run then. If it's part of that four, four way creative team, you got to read all four books. I think that that's what I've been judging it by though, is, is that like, I'm just like, well, I'm not a big fan of Dan Jurgens or something like that. So then I'm just like, Oh, and now I'm not a fan of any of this other stuff. And I'm kind of like, maybe I should like, <laughs> maybe I should read all of it with a slightly fairer mind than I had whenever I was like 14, you know, and just like, Oh, they're ruining Superman. <laughs> or just read hers and see if it works by itself. It should. <laughs> it, <might be> good. <laughs> it should. It probably won't, but it should. Yeah. I don't think it does. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, it's worth trying. It's worth an experiment. It's kind of like whenever they put the, um, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, they were releasing like huge CD sets or DVD sets of like long runs of comics. And so you get like uh-huh. all Amazing Spider-Man on one DVD. Yep. And and it's great. You're reading through Amazing Spider-Man. You're reading through Amazing Spider-Man. It's all fun and games until you get to the Clone Saga when <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man was only one chapter every month. Yeah. And then it becomes kind of choppy reading after that. And it wasn't even like – he was like the third book every month. So he wasn't never the first chapter or the last chapter. Amazing Spider-Man is always like the middle stuff. Oh, God. But, um, but anyways – 
if you if you if you want any um, tips or directions on Superman, uh, let me know. That's that's one of my loves is is that that big boy in blue and Henry Cavill until he made a jerk of himself this week. But um, there's very few Superman podcasters, too. So you should take advantage. Yeah, <laughs> he says sarcastically. Oh. Well, I can always, I can always hear more about Superman. I love that guy. Um. Well. Okay. So we we've kind of run close to the hour. We're gonna be a bit under an hour whenever I do uh, cut out the uh, the the dead spots. Um. But I feel like we're running out of things to say. This was this was a really really fun film. It wasn't super dense, but it was just a lot of really enjoyable stuff. I. I think I had a smile on my face the entire time, except for the occasional part where I cried. Same. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was very entertaining. I mean, it was kind of like just Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man, but like on steroids. So even better. Um, I like the I like the first one too, but uh, second one, much better. Um, all the characters were good. I, like, I, like we said, I like that the villains weren't particularly villainous, except for that one guy. But, you know, he wasn't a huge threat. We didn't really think of him as a threat, really. Um, again. <laughs> Wasp, Wasp was awesome. Can't wait to see Hope in something else. I really hope Hope shows up in other things. Avengers 4 in particular would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just going to say that something is that strikes me as being really interesting is, is that we really barely talked about Scott. <laughs> right? Um, and yeah. Scott was really well, see, great. We don't, we don't have to wrap. So what do you want to say about Scott? We can do that. Well, I mean, honestly, I would say that the most interesting thing about it is is that all of the other characters totally just carried this movie so well that we didn't really have to talk about scott because his story really was told in the last movie um so we just saw a continuation of his story um but like everybody else brought so much to the table that like as much as you know scott is great like i love ant-man it was really interesting and awesome and probably the best part of the movie was just the fact that it had such a great ensemble and everybody just brought more to the table than what we thought we were going to see from them and i feel like paul rudd is that is maybe the kind of guy where he was absolutely fine with sharing the spotlight with all those other great great guys too so i'm sure um I mean, I didn't really like when I left. I definitely was thinking, like, wow, the you know the wasp was really in this movie a lot. But um, I don't know. I didn't really feel bad for Ant Man. He was there, and he was kind of like the gateway for us to meet all these other characters. Um, and I, he's hilarious, and I want to see him in future movies too. But yeah, it was just kind of like it was definitely a co build film, if not even maybe a little more in her favor, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. To 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 the betterment of the film. Uh, yeah, and. You know, I first saw Evangeline Lilly on Lost. I think that was probably her big first claim to fame. Um, and she was one of the best parts of that show, although her character was not always served as well as she could have been. Um, so whenever I found out that she was going to be in this movie, in the first movie, I was really excited. And then she comes into this one and, and kicks all the ass. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. She really, I can't imagine uh, anybody else playing that character as well as she did. The um, the confession that I have to make is that I did not know until relatively recently that Janet Van Dyne was even in this film. Me neither. Um, the uh, I, I'd seen Michelle Pfeiffer on the posters, and of course she's in the kind of you know rugged gear outfit that she has you know from wandering around the the microverse, the quantum realm, where she got those clothes. You know, who knows? She made them out of quirks. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, she on the poster, I don't know. I didn't know who she was. So I thought maybe she was the villain of the piece. And, you know, that's why she was dressed kind of oddly. I, I didn't know. And then someone said, you know, Janet Van Dyne, this or that. And I was like, what? What? And like, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer's in this film. I was like, I knew Michelle Pfeiffer was in this film. I should know she was playing Janet. Yeah. So. Well, to be fair to you and to me, I don't think she was in the trailers. I don't think was so. she? So, I mean, all the trailers are, are those scenes where, like, Ant-Man is giant and rolling around on the truck and there's a lot of punching and kitchen fights. And, and all that was, like, the sub-villain. And then occasionally it would show ghosts, like she was going to be this main horrible evil villain, you know. It was just all a bunch of trickery. None of that was really what was going on. And I don't think Michelle Pfeiffer was in it at all. And the first time I saw her was on a poster at the movie theaters going to see Incredibles 2. And I didn't know who she was supposed to be either. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that was kind of a cool surprise. Mine was because uh, I'm such a ridiculous Janet stan. So whenever somebody said Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then I looked into it and had to understand Mm -hmm. that 
Janet wasn't the wasp that was appearing. I was just inconsolable, terrible week. It was the worst <laughs> news of my life. Um, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, so, so upset to the point of just like, I want to write an article about how sad I am or something. And then it was like, uh, you know, little bit of time later, you know, they're just like, okay, well, you know, uh, Janet is going to be in this movie. And she, as I said in the beginning, she was not in the movie even remotely enough, but like, at least she was in it, you know, because I was well, here, sad. Here's and, something we've never talked about because we've never covered the original Ant-Man on this show is Ant-Man and Wasp are kind of the only ones that start out quote unquote the wrong ages in these MCU movies, right. you know? Like, you know, Captain or not Captain America, he starts in World War Two, obviously. But like Spider Man is young, yes, but he's young in modern times. And yet they decided to make this choice of, of giving a legacy character like Ant Man to the second guy and putting, you know, the original Ant Man as the older mentor or, you know, curmudgeon, I guess, in this case. So what do we think about that? Like like making making Hank and Janet kind of sub-characters to Scott and Hope. I want to talk about a corollary of that. So, Sarah, you go ahead on that one. Uh, Well, what I was going to say is I think that they did that because it made Ultron really confusing, right? Like, so they had to have an older Hank. I'm not 100% on that. Um, But what I was – from what I understand, like, uh, I don't even – I don't remember what Ultron's origins are. Tony. Is that right? They just made they just made they just made Tony and Venom instead, just to keep it simple, because he's a he's a big robot who and Tony makes Iron Man armor robots, so why not? Sure, I guess that's the same. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah uh, so them bringing in Hank, I think, had to be differently timed. Uh, I would say that I mean. If anything, like, that means y'all owe me a prequel or something, you know, like, I have to see more Janet, come on, like, <laughs> this is who I'm here for. Um, yeah. I mean, they had they had the flashback of them in the first movie and this movie. It was so good. Right? So just do that for two hours. Mm-hmm. The way they kicked off the movie where, like, Janet, like, no hesitation, just, like, leaps into the quantum zone was just, that's prime Janet right there. I was really into that. Uh, I would say that generally, I don't know, when it comes to changes between comics and film, I honestly kind of just try not to be the hater that I am about it. Like, I have to kind of just like let that part of myself go sometimes because I'm such a comics fan. Like, so, so much into comics, like beyond uh, what I am into Hollywood blockbusters. Like I love film as well, but uh, not necessarily Hollywood blockbusters for the most part. Um, I kind of am Mm -hmm. just trying to like be more chill about it because sometimes it goes in really good directions. Like they brought in Valkyrie, you know, in Ragnarok and she was better than she's been in a long time. Hulk was better than he's been in a long time in that movie. So I'm kind of just like, I'm against it because I want Janet in the movie, <laughs> but like uh, I'm for it because I know I have no control over it and I might as well enjoy the ride. So my daughter agrees that we really need a prequel. We really need like eighties adventures of Henry and Janet. And um, you know, Captain Marvel is going to have Samuel L. Jackson and Clark Gregg or Greg Clark, uh, agent Coulson. Um, mm-hmm as digitally aged down for the entire film and their leads. They are, you know, they are supporting leads to um, Brie. What's, what's the Brie Larson. Yeah. um, The Captain Marvel actress. So, and then the digital de-aging in this with um, both uh, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer was amazing. I mean, I saw Michelle Pfeiffer there and I was like, Oh my gosh, that is exactly what she looked like. When I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing all that was really, really amazing. So they totally could do a prequel show with younger Henry and Janet and bring in more of the concepts and dynamics from the, you know, that relationship that was in the comics. I would like to think that they will leave out the smack. Yeah. Oh, um, God. Because they have a pretty healthy relationship aside from the 30 years of being apart. Yeah. Well, the, the smack was so specific to a very convoluted story. So you can't just have them going around 
drinking alcohol and smacking her around because that's not the same thing. So I totally agree, but it's like it's the only thing Henry is known for. I know, but he's known for it and they forget like why it happened. They just think of him as like this abusive jerk, but that's really not what was going down. Um, I don't know but that I, I even care if they use the same actors because I was fine with like them recasting a young Tony or a young Howard Stark for uh, – you know, the Captain America movie and um, uh, Agent Peggy Carter. Carter pay, yeah, Agent Carter TV show and stuff. Like, if they wanted to not spend $8 million a second to de-age Michael Douglas and Michelle Fiverr and just cast somebody that's actually young, that would still be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be down with that too, actually. Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be fine. I I wonder, like, if what you were saying, um, Sarah, like, maybe they're – maybe not about Ultron specifically, but maybe there were just too many scientists going on in their brain and they thought, you know, let's get Paul Rudd the comedian guy to, to lead this one. And we can just have the scientist kind of as a secondary character instead of another genius, Tony, you know, Bruce Banner. And now we have Hank also being a genius. Like how many geniuses can we fit in this universe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that was one of the decisions. Could be. Yeah. So I, I just want to call attention to one little side note just for a moment. Cause in the Marvel cinematic universe and also in the Marvel regular universe, S.H.I.E.L.D., when it's first introduced, is this super secret, ultra high secret. No one knows it exists. And they say in the first episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., if you know what S.H.I.E.L.D. is, you're probably dead. Um, so, and yet in the first Ant-Man film, we get this flashback to the 80s where they're at the Triskelion in mm-hmm. the harbor in New York. It's this giant building of S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters with a S.H.I.E.L.D. logo on it. And I'm just trying to, okay... So how are you the super secret thing if you're right there in the bay? And anyways, it's, it's always bothered me. It's just kind of one of those little things about the development of oh. this universe that is. Where did they say that on the TV show? The secret part. Oh, whenever, um, whenever they first show up in Iron Man 2, it's oh, all really? secret. And, oh, okay. and in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, they talk about it being secret. And Whoa. then it becomes less secret as, as time goes on. And everyone hmm. ends up you know knowing about it. I think they but, mentioned it in this movie, didn't they? Shield. Oh, they must have. Yeah, by now it's like everyone knows what you know. You know what Shield is like. You know what FBI is. We don't know anybody who works for the FBI, but you know what the FBI is. Um, and you also, everybody seems to know that Shield is essentially just Hydra, and now Shield is no more. So right. I think um, they talked about that, but I can't remember who talked about it and why. But it's just in the in the early days of the MCU, it was a super secret thing, and now it's no longer a super secret thing, and it never was super secret because obviously there was a building in the in. I don't know if it's called New York Harbor or what it's called, but, you know, the, the water near New York. Yeah. Anyways, it's just one of those things. Well, first um, of all, that's what you get for watching that TV show. And second – Hey, I love they, that they, TV show. They are trying to represent the comics, and the comics are just as inconsistent. So it's working really well. I know. I was like, oh, bring back the no prize for this one because <laughs> – Yeah. <laughs> you know, what you just said, Michael, reminds me of the X-Men films and how the X-Men films have brought in – all of the continuity craziness, all of the timeline uh-huh. hopping, all of the retcon future changing dynamics of the X-Men comics. I know. They may not get the characters or the relationships right, but they sure do know how to make an X-Men comic movie. And once you realize that, it's like it's like a James Bond movie. Just go. Who even cares? You know the basic concept. These guys are mutants. These guys are good. These guys are bad mutants. They're going to fight. Who cares what happened in the last movie? Nobody does. Even they don't. <laughs> I really liked the X-Men movies until I started reading a lot more of the X-Men comics and I realized just how much they missed. Mm, yeah. I think we should cover them all in one podcast. All 15 of them or however many? Yeah, <laughs> including the Wolverines. Let's just get them over with. <laughs> okay. Any other any other thoughts on the Ant-Man and the Wasp? I don't know. I guess not. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for being on the show with us today. Of course. I will talk yeah, about thanks for- Janet forever. Um, where, uh, where can, if people want to follow you or read what you write, where can they find you? Um, well, I'm on Twitter, as you know, at Sarah Century, and then you can, uh, just on sci-fi, I have like an author page, uh, and I'm writing like four or five articles a week for them. So I'm writing for sci-fi fangirls, like all of the time. Uh, and in general, you should just follow that page because it's so good. Like all of my coworkers are but uh, at least it's good and probably better than I am at writing. Like everybody on that side is just really incredible. So I highly recommend it. They're not listening to this. Who's the worst writer there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> me. <laughs> uh. <laughs> probably. So I, um, 
I just realized today, because my brain had been filtering, I just realized today that sci-fi fangirls is spelled with two R's. Yeah. <laughs> like, for months in my head, it's been G-I-R-L-S, but no, it's G-R-R-L-S. So when you go to find sci-fi fangirls either on the internet or on Twitter, it's G-R-R-L-S and sci-fi and, is spelled with Y's. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, when are they going to fix that? No? Never? <laughs> no one's into that anymore? <laughs> We, we all really hated that for a long time, and then we finally just accepted it, I guess. They ignored us completely, and now we yeah. accept it. Is that how it's going? <laughs> I, I think you can copyright SYFY, but you can't copyright science fiction. Ah. Uh, okay. Yep, so I think it was just a branding thing. I'm not uh, at liberty to say, but <laughs> I oh. would say that yes, most likely that is the reason. You changed it. Is that what you're saying? You know... Just like Shield, I'd have to kill you, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> she signed the NDA, and then she signed the NDA about the NDA. Uh, she wrote it first. <laughs> okay, well, um, what are we doing next month, Mike? No. Is there any movies coming out, or we can we do an old one? Um, I think Venom is coming out in October. Oh, no. Well, that doesn't excite me all that much, either. Oh, we don't uh, have to do Venom, but... Are we talking about doing Spider-Man next month? Yeah, let's do Spider-Man. The first, Spider-Man, the Toby, Toby one, yeah. I suppose I can make myself watch that again. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like a lot of that movie. Me but too. I tell you, but there's one scene, and we'll talk about it next next month, but there's one scene that is makes me cringe every single time. Um, so stay tuned, kids. Stay tuned, kids. <laughs> Um, and of course this uh, episode is on the Make Ours Marvel feed alongside one of our regular episodes which should be if all goes well episode 15 where we're starting a new calendar year it's 1963 and so um, and we're talking about the worst Thor comic of all time and give Sarah a follow on Twitter uh, give the sci-fi fangirls if you're not following that, that Twitter page and those articles then you're missing out on a lot of really cool insights into various realms of nerddom so um sarah thanks again thank you all it was really great and i guess we'll talk to y'all later bye bye bye